0: And it really is a privilege to be able to, in Howard's holiday absence, uh, be able to continue our series through our uh, stories, through the parables of Jesus, which we call Revolutionary Stories. This is a video of our hamster, Lulu. She's a great example of what happens in our parable this morning. Uh, In our parable this morning... Our rich fool also hamsters things away, exactly like we saw Lulu do. Now, we'll we'll chuckle and we think, ah, that's just cute and sweet. Um, And we know it's a silly situation. Lulu, you are going to get food again tomorrow. You don't need to hamster away the big ball of food and try and stick it in your little house. Of course you don't have to, because... Tomorrow is a new day, there's new grace, there's new provision for it. But the other reason we chuckle is that we realize we do that. We do that. We do that with stuff in our lives. We do that with our uh, resources, with our time in certain times of our lives. And that's why this is a parable. That's not just relevant to the rich among us. So it's called the rich fool. So you think, that's not me. Phew, I can switch off. No, no, this is... This is, a, this is a parable which relates to every single one of us in every aspect of our life at some point or another. I think young, old, rich, poor, if you're an explorer of Christianity and Christ this morning, or a seasoned veteran of the faith, this is for each one of us. So we're going to be looking at the parable of the rich fool and hopefully learn why, why we do this, first of all, And secondly, what are the alternatives to living a life which is genuinely um, more worshipful, more purposeful, and peaceful at the same time? So let's read out of Luke chapter 12. We're going to be reading from verse 13 to 45. You're welcome to grab out your Bibles. It's always, I'd prefer it if you can read in your own Bible. It will be behind us if uh, you don't have that with you at the moment. Someone in the crowd... Said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh, Father, we open our hearts before you this morning. And we say, reveal, speak, speak truth to us lovingly this morning. Open us, look in, peer in, you God who knows the hearts of all things and all men. God, you know what we're about. You know our passions, our desires, the things we love and chase after. Oh God, have your way in us this morning that our lives would be different when we walk out than when we walked in. Not just this day, but every day we ask. By your good name, Jesus. Amen. Well, in this encounter, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to his death and crucifixion. And this is a kind of a combination story of many of the things we read in Matthew. The, um, the Sermon on the Mount stories are in Luke, more in the back end of Luke, which is an interesting uh, observation. And Jesus teaches, as he often does, and people would stop him and say, Teacher, what about this? And in this case, we've got this young man who stops Jesus and he says um, he wants justice. He wants justice for a certain situation that he thinks he deserves. And it's likely that this man's father had died and that uh, he'd left no will behind. So the inheritance can't be... Um, sold off until the older brother gives permission. So they're in a bit of a quandary at the moment. He's owed money, which is his by right, but his older brother's foot dragging is causing some serious family and relational strains. And this is obviously a significant issue that Jesus is asked to weigh in on. And there are points of justice, of fairness, of brotherly love and unity, any of which Jesus could have latched onto and taught into if he so chose. But instead, Jesus doesn't answer his question, does he? We're still left going, yeah, okay, but what about the guy's question? But Jesus goes for the heart of the matter, as he always does. That if corrected, that right heart would lead to fixing of all the other situations that that particularly this young man was asking about. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And it's amazing that this man already was wealthy. He was rich. He had all that he needed. And that this blessing of of this increased harvest, this bountiful harvest, is an unexpected grace. So you think, wow, this is setting up to be a great story. Or a real duh story. Let's see how this goes. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere To store my crops. Now, this is an interesting thing because anyone in the ancient world would have listened to that phrase and he thought to himself and thought, oh, what a sad guy. He's got nobody that he can talk to about this. He's not in a community. He's not in a a group of people that love him and care for him. He's not in a church community. He's not in a, a small group or a G1C where people can lovingly speak into his situation and challenge him. He seems to have chosen to live outside of community. And the people listening in all of a sudden realize this is a story that's going to go badly for him. The application to this point is quick and obvious. So let me hit it. You will never make consistently good and solid life choices in isolation. Put yourself in community, within a group of people who love you and care for you enough to say, that is a stupid idea. Especially, let them speak into your financial choices. It's an interesting one. The thing we culturally speak least about is probably the thing we should be speaking most about in our communities and our threes, and our friendships. It's a big challenge. And this, this parable explains why that's important. Verse 18, And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my bonds and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Man, that's a lot of eyes and my's in one sentence. <laughs> this guy who, who lives already in isolation out on his farm is choos- choosing to compound his isolation by adding to his personal storage space. He tears down his old barns that were sufficient for the riches and wealth that he had, and he builds more storage space to add to his personal wealth. wealth. And the motivation of his heart and the purpose that he believes he exists for is then revealed. We see that his real treasures exist to provide for himself years of relaxation, eating, drinking, and merrymaking. Before we get too harsh on the guy, what would you do if you had it all? If you had all the resources that you could ever want What job would you do if you would do any? Who would you hang out with if you didn't have to because of work or anything like that? What purpose would you pursue? So I think if you're anything like me, I'm not going to be throwing stones out of this glass house just quite yet. See, there are two qualities that seem to make up his treasures that he's trying to hamster away. The one is ample goods, and the other is many years. And if we're listening to Jesus' teaching, at this point, we're supposed to ask ourselves the question, Christopher, what are the treasures that you seek to hamster away? And the answer is found by following these two quantities, goods and time. So, Firstly, literally follow the money trail. To know what goods you treasure, I would only need to look at your bank statement. So after everything that you need to pay, you know, house, food, uh, handbags. (laughs) No, the stuff you need to pay. (coughs) What do we do with our expendable income? Where does it go? For some of us, it's even a question of what do we go into debt to get because we desperately want it? Take a moment. I just think about it. You want to know where your treasures lie, where your heart lies? Firstly, follow the money. Instead of living a life of service that this guy had the opportunity to do, a life in the middle of genuine community where he could be a blessing and living for a big purpose, our rich man believes the purpose of life was to use his treasures for his own benefit to serve himself. But why does Jesus warn us against this kind of lifestyle? Surely that's a good thing. I mean... That's why we work hard, so we can get these things. Do you you know the story of Socrates, who walks into Gloucester University? Have you heard this one? No. So Socrates, the great philosopher, he walks into Gloucester University Library, and there's a a student studying, uh, reading a book there in the library, and he says, hey, dude, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm reading. Shh. Why are you reading? He says, I'm trying to learn some stuff. He says, okay. um, Why do you need to learn some stuff? He says, I'm trying to pass a test. Yeah, but why is that important? To get my degree, duh. Okay, why do you want a degree? Because I want a good job, right? Why is that important? So the guy says... Bro, money, money, I need a good job for money, why else? He says, okay, well, what would you do with your money? He says, I'm trying to study, okay, uh, what would I do with my money? I am, probably, I need lots of money to have a family, biggest expense. He says, okay, good one. What is the biggest expense of having a family? He says, probably kids through university, yeah all right. and why is that important? Well, they need to go and read some stuff to go and learn for a test to get their degree to get a job to ah. i've heard this before See the futility of a life based on this kind of thinking becomes obvious when it, it becomes all about the treadmill of life, and you can't fulfill your unique purpose, your unique call of God when we're stuck on this treadmill of self-gratification. So firstly, we say follow the money. Secondly, you want to know where your treasure lies? Follow the time trail. Again, I think we'd only need to take one look at your weekly, daily, weekly, monthly diary to quickly tell where your treasure lies. After you've done the essentials, sleep, you've got to eat, uh, you've got to work, some family obligations, but where does our expendable time go? Maybe tennis? Tennis? Maybe some you know, family time, hanging with friends. Computer games. Maybe the walk in the Cotswolds. Maybe Netflix series binges. <laughs> yeah, these are not all bad things. These, these are good things. But they have their place and their time in moderation and with balance. You see, if you're like the average young adult under the age of 30... You spend 5.1 hours on your cell phone every day, and you check it 86 times. Is that all? How is that all? Yeah. <laughs> if you're like the average over 30 adult, then you spend 3.2 hours on your phone, and you check it. Guesses. Yeah. 60. 60 times in one day. <coughs> I think Jesus would make the point out of this parable that we're trying to find something in there. That we're trying to find some sense of purpose inside this little device. We're searching for something that fires up our heart or captures our imagination. Gives us some, something to live for and die for. We're searching for true purpose and hoping that it lies at the bottom of my Instagram feed. Every like, every comment, every social media interaction is a brief moment of validation. It hints that the possibility of a full and good and rich and passionate life exists. Because those things aren't bad. They hint at a truth that for a moment keeps us excited and keeps us engaged. Just as the rich man is about to settle in to enjoy all his riches so that he can relax and ride the treadmill of life and enjoy the hints of genuine purpose and genuine enjoyment and fulfillment, something unforeseen happens. For all of his ample goods, there was something he had zero control over. Time on earth. His time runs up, he dies. And there's a formula at work here that we shouldn't miss. And it goes like this. Treasure plus time equals... It's just duff stuff. It's nothing. Rubbish. Junk another example, your, your favorite car plus time <laughs> equals <laughs> junk. Consider for a moment one of those things that you just had to have. You had to possess it. You couldn't wait until it was on sale. You needed it now. Some time goes by, some rust, some usage. And where is that thing now? Bottom of the cupboard or back of the garage at best, right? At worst, Sue Ryder. What you thought you couldn't live without, you add time to the equation and it's not even in play anymore. You have nothing left. The warning and teaching of Jesus to this young man who asked the question initially, and to us, then comes next. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You see, he dies, and all his riches, and all his wealth, and all his diligent planning, and all his material goods, and all the time that he thought he'd bought for himself... His supposed fulfilled purposes. All of his treasure becomes someone else's inheritance. He forgot that he came into the world naked and screaming. And that he leaves the world with nothing. No control of his treasures. No control of his time. The cycle that he was in was a futile cycle. And Jesus says to the young man... He's saying to him, this inheritance that, that you are wrecking your relationship with your brother over, it's not worth it, buddy. It's in these moments where the parables of Jesus become crafty. The package is so nice. There was a farmer with some crops And you can picture this kind of golden wheat, sunflowers, and he builds a barn. Some chickens running around. There's a windmill in the background. It's beautiful. The kids will learn this at God First Kids. Pretty pictures, colors. But within them is a sledgehammer of the most severe warning. Christian brothers and sisters, there is a possibility... That when you die and stand before the king of kings, instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, you might hear, you fool, what were you living for? And this should be a weight on every heart this morning, every heart, that we hear this warning and Take note and change the course of our life because of it. You fool. It's a plead, more than an accusation. He's saying, "You fool, don't do it." And this is pretty much the end of the parable. And from here on Jesus goes on about teaching and applying the parable to help his hearers, both there and to us this morning. How do we then live lives that are rich towards God for an eternity instead of laying up for ourselves treasures like fools on earth? Jesus immediately goes on in verse 22 to diagnose the root problem. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Jesus points out that the real reason people hamster things away and end up living anxious and foolish lives is because of fear and anxiety. What are we afraid of? If I spend my treasures on somebody or something other than myself that i won't have enough when i want it that's what we're afraid of the fact that living like this causes us so much pressure and anxiety and self related uh, and stress related depression should be a warning sign for us that this type of life is not the life that God has called us for, purposed us to live. So the symptoms, we just heard what the the root problem is, the symptoms are hamstering away our treasures of ample goods for many years. The diagnosis is that through this lifestyle, we hope to eliminate and and at best to uh, minimize our fear of not having enough when we need it. But in fact, the opposite happens. As we pursue these false purposes, our anxiety levels go up, our depression rates go up, and our levels of joy and peace through fulfilling Our real purposes go down. But wonderfully, Jesus has good news. It's not all doom and gloom. He never leaves us just pointing out our symptoms and our diagnosis. He doesn't just leave us pointing out your faults, waving his finger under our noses. Here follows Jesus' prescription to peace in our hearts and living life to the max. Let's listen out. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Of which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider, remember, remember the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Friends, this isn't a parable to help us do church better. This is a parable that helps us do life better. To help us live in the ultimate best purpose that we were made for, and that will bring us ultimate joy, and will help us enjoy ultimate satisfaction. There is a purpose to your life. And Jesus teaches that finding this purpose is of essential, eternal consequence and value. You, he says, kingdom people, your purpose is not building, is not building up bonds and tearing them down. Your, your purpose is not found in little moments of excitement that flare up your passion for a short time and then fade away. Your purpose is to seek first His kingdom and build up a storehouse of trust in God's goodness and faithfulness in His daily provisions. To be rich towards God is the pursuit and enjoyment of God above all else, above all else, and the investment of your treasures of goods and time for His glory and worship. That's what it means to seek first His kingdom. C.S. Lewis understood something wonderful about this when he wrote, Aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And that is our experience. That's why anxiety, stress, pressure mounts on us when we live these kind of lifestyles. When you seek God first... And his kingdom, first as a priority, the things that we need to eat, to wear, to laugh about, to sleep in, to drive with, are thrown in just because he can, just because he's good and kind and faithful to provide everything we need to fulfill our purposes of seeking him. That's the cycle. When your life becomes a constant pursuit of God, who is the giver of these good gifts, and when we pursue God and His purposes for why He's put us, in the place that He's put us, in the time that He's put us, doing the work or the study that we're doing, with the people that He's put us with, we can increasingly live in the good of that. He's a good king, a good purposes. You get all the other stuff just thrown in for free. <laughs> Everything we need. And this is the answer of so much of our stress and our anxiety. So much of our stress and our anxiety. I think an application this morning would be if we could walk out And be so purposed on seeking God and His purposes for us that we increasingly, daily, moment by moment, live completely worry and anxiety free. Knowing and trusting that our good God will also give us everything for life. Romans 8.32, Paul writes... He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) In our passage, it says, fear not, little flock. You hear those words, the words of tenderness, care, concern? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One of the big ways to seek first the kingdom and a major way to rid ourselves of much of this anxiety of life and at the same time to allow the kingdom of God to grow and flourish in us and through us is now taught by Jesus next. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Sell your possessions. Give it to the poor and the needy. Honestly, if this church spoke as much about money and about giving as Jesus did, none of us would be here. We'd all run for the hills. But Jesus knew the direct link between money and treasures and anxiety and pressure and living in the purpose that He's called us. And He ridiculously often tells people, You want to be close to me? You want to know the closeness of God? You want to know the fullness of life? You want to have peace in life? Give stuff away. Give money away, give time away, give treasures away, and make God your treasure. For the good of others, yes. For the advance of the kingdom, yes. But more importantly, for the good of God's kingdom in us, in our hearts. Now, I know that we are people who want to hear the Word of God and obey it, which is why I don't want to leave this point vague. Am I now saying that we all need to take our car keys on the way out of church and drop it in the black box? Or am I saying that we need to give away our Xbox? Or give all our money away or sell your house and give the money away? Is that what i'm saying out of this passage yes that is exactly what i'm saying but we don't make a theology out of one passage matthew 26 we see the disciples upset because a woman comes with a jar of perfume breaks it open and pours it over jesus's feet and they're upset because they know this. They know this stuff. Jesus has taught them this stuff. She's it's like, woman, you silly, silly woman. You could have used this perfume. It's worth a year's wages. Sold it and given it to the poor. Why didn't you do that? And Jesus rebukes them and says, no. It is better for her to use those resources, her treasures well, to steward it well, than giving it away in this instant. Her obedience was to use it rather than sell it and give it away. In Luke 19, we've got the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, who was a wicked, crooked tax collector. And he spends some time with Jesus. He comes to saving faith in the presence of God. And he's like, what do I do? And his response in faith and obedience is to give half of everything away. And then choose to live a wise life, stewarding what he has left really well. And then in our passage, we hear, give everything away. So we see, give nothing away. We see, give half away. We see, give everything away. So which is it? The principle is, give away as much as you can In obedience to God. Then steward well, use well, the rest of your goods and the rest of your time, all in the pursuit of God and His kingdom. There's a deposit of riches in our understanding of God that comes from living like Jesus commands. As we seek God first and His kingdom We receive an abundance of blessing and generosity from God on a daily basis, which allows us to lay down these pressures and anxieties and fears of not having enough. And at the same time, we get to see with our own eyes how God's kingdom explodes and thrives and grows right in front of us as we steward our stuff really well and obediently. When our stuff moves from being treasures to being worshipful mission ammunition, amazing things can happen. If this is where Jesus left it, we would still be in a place of, oh, Jesus, that's a really big ask. Why are you, you know, why are you asking this of us? But he didn't leave it there. He lived the perfect model life of this. Of giving it all away for the sake of seeking first the kingdom. So perfect, in fact, that our faith in Him and His finished work on the cross is all that we need to be saved. That's how perfect His life was. Whether or not we do any of these things that this parable teaches us, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower this morning... You're saved and you are loved. That's how wonderful it is. But in light of what Jesus does to save us from the sin and the horror of this hamsterish treadmill existence, how can we not also trust that His ways are better for us than our ways and obey wonderfully? Our hearts and our treasures can safely be withdrawn from wherever we've deposited them, because Jesus invites us to look at him and see someone whose life and actions shows that not only can he provide peace and life and purpose, but he is the true treasure to be pursued above all else and to invest our lives in and our time in. He doesn't just talk big. He walked big. He gave big. He gave away the riches of heaven to come to earth and walk in poverty to show that riches could never satisfy like He does. Jesus gave away His earthly possessions to to the point of needing to get a fish with a gold coin in His mouth to pay His temple taxes just to show that God provides every day for everything that we will need when we pursue Him, He gave us the ultimate, He gave up the ultimate community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, as He suffered alone on a cross in our place, so that we are free to enjoy God as the first and best relationship and treasure. Jesus lived the seek first. The kingdom life every day and as he worshipfully and obeyed everything that he heard from the father and did as the father commanded he showed that obedience is a joyful privilege that leads to good that leads to the best jesus so sought the kingdom first that he gave his life willingly joyfully and obediently for the sake of saving many, many, many people from the horror, the sin of this treadmill, hamsterish existence. This is a God who loved us to death. Jim Elliott, who died at 28 in Ecuador, who responded to the call to go and preach the gospel to the tribes there, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And when we consider how Jesus came and sought us out first, he is no fool who is rich towards God and seeks God and his kingdom first.